A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. And when they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of the both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, worship team. You may have a seat. Check, check, check. You don't have a function on there that makes my voice deeper and more open, do you? <laughs> Just kidding. So we continue, we're continuing our series in the parables of Jesus. And this parable uh, is actually embedded within a larger story of the simple woman coming to anoint Jesus um, at a meal. It's in Luke chapter 7. Um, could you imagine if President Obama's last act as a lame duck president, he's, he's on a roll, right, because he has nothing to fear, uh, was to forgive all student loan debt and to pay off all mortgages for all middle class families. Uh, and that declaration was somehow universally announced right now over every single loudspeaker in the, in the United States. Uh, how would we, some of us, be reacting, right? Some of us would jump out of our seats and scream and jump around and celebrate. Maybe some of us would even drop to the floor, weeping with thankfulness, uh, and turn to hug the nearest human being. I, for one, uh, would, wouldn't even care what I'm doing right here, giving a sermon, right? I'd probably which may be an issue of itself, right? <laughs> I would probably run around like a soccer player after a goal, doing the knee slide, right? Right over the knee slide, going, goal! Right? I would be so happy, so happy, because that's hundreds of, no, that's thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Of, well, with the mortgage, it's hundreds and thousands of dollars a debt that would be forgiven. And that, that sheer amount of debt that's forgiven would add fuel to the fire of excitement and happiness of being forgiven that, right? But some of you, maybe whose parents did good planning and saving, right, have no student debt, right? And you'd be like, well, that's no big deal. I don't have any student debt. I don't care. And you guys would be looking at all of us celebrating with kind of, okay, right? Or some of you who are younger and may not have purchased your first house don't have a mortgage. So it doesn't matter. You wouldn't have been forgiven those hundreds of thousands of dollars, especially if you live in Seattle. Um, you would have nothing to celebrate. And in our parable here, in this brief section of scripture, uh, Jesus is speaking with the Pharisee Simon. And Pharisee, a Pharisee is a Jewish religious leader in the times of Jesus. Uh, and this parable is about numbers, right? It's math. Jesus uses mathematical logic to make a brain connection with a Pharisee around a deeper heart issue. And the deeper heart issue is where is your love for me? Where is your passion and compassion for God? Even where is your hospitality? 
in the least in our culture, right, a person who welcomes someone to dinner at his house would wash a person's feet, right, would give them a kiss of greeting. And Simon apparently didn't do any of these things. And Jesus recognizing this is like something is amiss in your heart, right? There's, there's a lack of openness. There's a lack of, of love. I'm missing a connection. And so Jesus uses this mathematical parable uh, to get Simon to agree with him, right? Saying there are two people, and we'll, we'll put it in today's times. There are two people who owe credit card debt. One owed 50000 let's say. Some of you may laugh, whoa, 50000 But revolving, revolving debt, that's not, these days with the millennials especially, that's not out of the question, right? $50,000 in credit card debt, and the other one owed 5000 Both debts were canceled. Someone came, a benefactor came, and paid both debts. And so the question here is, which one would be happier, right? Which person would love this benefactor more? It's pretty logical, right? The one who was forgiven 50K would be jumping up and down, would be weeping perhaps, would be saying, I love you, thank you so much, Andrew, for paying my credit card debt, <laughs> right? The one with 5,000 came, you'd be happy, right? But that's doable, you can pay that off, right? You got a job or whatever, you can pay that off. Uh, so you'd be kind of excited and happy, but not as happy as this other guy. Makes sense? But what's interesting in this short parable is that Jesus is connecting debt with love. Or maybe I should say he's connecting the reception of grace and forgiveness with love. And does this mean that the kingdom of God is like an equation, right? There are degrees of love and faithfulness based on the amount we've been forgiven. I don't think that this parable gives us license to work this system, right? I know Phil already is thinking about that, right? Right? It's not here to encourage us to, hey, let's go out and rob and steal and cheat and murder, right? And lie. And then after we've done the worst things we can possibly do, then at the end of that, we'll ask God to forgive us and be forgiven and we'll love him so much more because we've done so much bad in our lives and we've been forgiven so much debt that we love him. That much more. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about when he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. Right? I don't think the, uh, this parable is a license to work a system. Because the reality is we've been forgiven and saved from death. Everyone. All of us. Right? It's infinite. Right? The gift is infinite. But I think Jesus is more talking about heart posture. Are we humble? Are we aware of our need for Jesus? Are we poor in spirit? Do we know the depth of the gift that is the saving work of Jesus Christ? The reality is the world was drowning. The whole world was drowning under a sea of debt. It can never pay off. We were all drowning. And only, uh, and on a daily basis too, we are in constant need of the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us life, 
to restore us, to forgive us, to help us along when we're weak, to assist us. Um, we are in daily need of being restored by the love of Jesus. We are in debt. So a little bit of context. One, one of the unique qualities of the Gospel of Luke, we're in the Gospel of Luke, uh, is its portrayal of women um, around Jesus as exemplary disciples. So there's a long list of women throughout Luke who d- demonstrate cur- courage and faithfulness, um, who are w- women who are with Jesus in his walk uh, and who praise God and all the things that they do. Um, for instance, in Luke, there's a distinguishing characteristic of wherever there is a story about a man, sometimes, or a lot of times, that's paired with a parallel story about a woman. For instance, the centurion, his son is healed by Jesus. And right next to that is paired, the widow's son uh, is healed. In Luke 15, you have the woman who's lost her coin is paired with the man who lost a sheep. So man, woman, man, woman. In the context of our, our passage, Luke 8, immediately following uh, 8.1, I'll just read 8.1 through 8.3. Soon afterwards, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him as well, verse 2, as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. So in this short section, the 12 disciples are just named in general, the 12, right? Whereas the women who were also with him, right, are pronounced by name, right? And in fact, some of them are like Mary, who was healed of evil spirits and many infirmities. They followed Jesus, and they gave from their resources, assisting in the ministry. Right? So the faithfulness and courageousness of women, which gives, highlights even more the beauty, I think, and the upside-downness of this, our passage. Because this parable is embedded in a larger story of... Jesus being invited to a meal um, at the home of Simon, a Pharisee. And Simon and Pharisee has Jesus over to dinner. It's the religious leaders, the, the hip happening people, right? TMZ is there. But then a woman breaks in, breaks in to where Jesus is, and she anoints Jesus. Um, with perfume, with oil, and she washes his feet um, with her very tears, right? First of all, how can you cry that much, though? There's enough (laughs) moisture (laughs) to wash someone's feet, especially if there's a lot of dust. You you need, like, volumes (laughs) of tears. That just illustrates the amount of passion, right, she has, the amount of heart, and the genuine... Uh, gratitude, the genuine feeling um, that she's expressing. And in this context, in any context, right, if we were sitting at a meal and some woman came and started washing my feet with oil and uh, weeping and crying, 
I'd be, honestly, I'd be like, right? Very uncomfortable. It's scandalous, right? It's scandalous in any culture, right? Some people may be sitting there and saying, whoa, that's a little risque. That's a little sexual, right? Or other people will be, who invited her, right? Stop interrupting. Stop disturbing, you know, this meal. It's another story of a woman who's courageous and faithful that Luke is telling. The most unlikely of heroes, uh, the most unlikely of disciples, is actually raised up by Jesus as an exemplar of faith, above even the Pharisee Simon. And Jesus, in this, the end of the story, says, she who is forgiven much loves much. So there's that connection between grace given and love. Right? How is grace and love connected? How is grace, forgiveness, and devotion and faithfulness connected? And I want to get at this in a different way by asking you guys, are you aware of your own need for forgiveness? Do you, another way we can put it, do you remember your testimony? Right? Where were you that day that you cried out to God and prayed for the very first time or prayed in that moment where you were rock bottom and all you had was God? Where were you? And do you remember your testimony? Um, when we worship, we... Okay, I'm going to lift this up. <laughs> when we worship, we love and emote and celebrate and, and worship, right? Uh, we do this in connection with the measure of grace we've received. Right? We need to be in love with Jesus, right? We don't need to know Jesus. I know there's a lot of smart people out there, out here, not out there. There's smart people actually in here too, right? And I know some of you, even though I'm a pastor, I'm seminary trained, some of you have read more theological books than I have, right? Some of you have probably memorized the Bible more than I have, right? Some of you know the Bible. You know about God. You know how to talk about God. You know how to talk about Jesus. You know if there's a good sermon and a bad sermon. You know if this church is theologically correct or that church is not in line with your theology. We know these things. We read blogs, right? Some of us are from the Reformed tradition. Some of us like bloggers like Rachel Held Evans, right? Some of us believe this. Some of us don't believe this. Um, but the question is, are you in love with Jesus? Right? Are you in love with Jesus? All of us know that when, you know, especially me, I know when someone's in love with me. Growing around. Janice is in love with me. All my girlfriends in the past, they were in love with me. Right? I know. They adored me. They worshiped the ground I walked on. Right? Just, you know, who can blame them? What's so funny? Uh, we know when someone is in love. We know when we're being adored. 
right? There doesn't even have to be words, right? It's just how they look at you. It's just how they act around you. It's the, the vulnerability that you sense in their eyes. It's the unspoken. It's the contact. And that's what we're talking about, beyond our head knowledge. We're heady people, right? And this is what Jesus is getting at. He is trying to get at the heart of the matter, right? By using an external, right? He's using money and the forgiveness of debt to describe, to get down to the core of our heart. What makes us grateful? What makes us excited? What makes us pour out our hearts, right? And in our culture, um, it doesn't always happen that we are passionately in love or that we passionately love people or that we passionately love Jesus, right? We're guarded because we have proud hearts. We're defensive. We have, we're masters of defense mechanisms, right? We like someone, we play it cool, right? We want community because we're lonely. We say, oh, I'm okay. And then we go watch TV by ourselves at home, right? This passion, this love for Jesus will never come when we work, work for God or strive to earn our righteousness through achievement. This never happens when our lives of faith are more about maintaining the proper image of put-togetherness or know-how or expertise or simple theological head knowledge. We need to be lovers of Jesus. We need to fall in love. Fall in love. I remember when I first fell in love, I like to use, you know, falling in love with girls as an example because we can all relate, but opposite sex, I should say. <laughs> um, it was like 2 a.m. in the morning. I bought all these nice flowers from QFC or wherever it was. <laughs> Wrote this long note, right? And drove out to Harbor Point, you know, and left it on her porch, right? And you just do crazy things you wouldn't really do, right? And my friend Young's like, you don't do that kind of stuff for us. I'm like, no, I'm in love. I, and I would always say her name. Let's just call her like Susie when I'm talking to him with my friends. Susie, right? And my friend Young and Dave would be, oh, gosh. He's struck with the sickness, right? To be in love. Um, it's not always a cheesy bad thing, right? It's in our heart for some reason. And I think we're created to worship and love Jesus Christ, to love God. There's something about the woman in Luke that teaches us what it means to be true disciples of Jesus. That's why Jesus highlights this. He says to Simon, when I came into this house, you did not wash my feet. But this woman, she washed my feet with her tears. When I came into this house, you did not greet me with a kiss. This woman has poured oil and anointed me. Right? She's given herself over to me. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like two debtors 
who have had their debts forgiven. And because of that forgiveness, we love, right? We love passionately. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for the message of Jesus' parables. Uh, thank you for your grace and forgiveness. Thank you um, that you have saved us. And help us to be reminded of that on a daily basis. Help us also to be reminded of our fragility and our dependence on you and your Holy Spirit uh, in everything we do, at work, at play, in our relationships, right? as we interact with our neighbors, as we drive in traffic. We need you. We need you. We need you. You are the reason we breathe. You are the reason we walk. And we are so thankful. Help us to fall in love with you. And that in this love and this passion, um, others can witness um, you and who you are through our lives reflected. And that we, we can be a light and salt to the world. In your name, amen.